This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Thanks for making it to the last session of the Real Change class. I hope the class has been helpful, encouraging to you, um, created some good categories for you as you think about your own life and even as you're thinking about how you can care and counsel others. Um, you know, just this, this is a big topic. It's a huge topic about this idea of changing. What does it mean? And so I hope this has laid foundation for you and has given you some, maybe some categories you haven't had before or reinforcing some things that maybe you needed reinforced. Um, but it is a process. And so uh, this whole idea of changing and what God is doing in our lives. And so we're going to, this morning, talk about fruit. So what is this idea? What does it mean to bear fruit? And um, so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. So, Lord, thanks for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we, we awoke this morning to new morning mercies. Um, we awoke to promises that, uh, that you, um, you are faithful, that you are a good and gracious God this morning. Even us being here this morning, even us coming to a class like this, to coming to want to hear your word proclaimed. These are all things that you have done. They're miracles. Things that we did not desire in and of ourselves, but you, O Lord, did a sovereign, gracious, mighty work. And so we give you thanks for that. So use this time, use these few minutes we have together. And Lord, I do pray, I pray for each of us that through the power of your spirit, that there would be much fruit in our lives. That there would be this, this sense of, um, as people look at our lives, as they see um, what is coming out of us, as they see what we are producing, actually what you are producing in and through us, what they would see is, wow, there is a God who has done a work, and his name is Jesus, and we worship him, and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as, we, as we've discussed, God uses trials, the heat, our circumstances to reveal the remaining sin in our hearts in order to lead us to the liberating power of the gospel. So there's this heat, the circumstance, it can produce thorns, it can produce bad fruit, it can show us what's in our hearts. Um, it leads us to the liberating power of the gospel, and then by God's grace, we apply the gospel of Jesus Christ and are being transformed by the power, by the Spirit who is at work within us. And so, here's kind of, let's, let's go through. Change begins with God. His plan has always been that we know Him, that we are like Him, and that we enjoy Him, for which He has made complete and perfect provision for us. And so just remember, the heat reflects we're living in a fallen world, and there's trials, there's challenges, there's disappointments. I put the picture of this on the back of that outline just so you can see it once again. But, you know, it, it's highlighting that things are not how they should be. There's suffering, there's sin. <laughs> our response to this heat, it vividly reveals our hearts, reveals that we are not yet like God. We do not respond and follow Him the way that we should. They expose our need for a Savior, which leads us to the cross. And we're reminded God's perfect provision to save us, to redeem us. This promise to transform us. The gospel frees us so that we can actually change. The power of sin can actually be broken. 
we, there is hope for change because when we go to the foot of the cross, what we see is that our sin has been decisively dealt with. Decisively. And so we can move forward in hope. We can move forward trusting, okay, Lord, if you, if you can take care of this, my sin against you, then there is hope that you can change me. That there is hope that you who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. That there, and so this is where we're going to talk about fruit. Our response to the heat, it's not like after we become a Christian, things just go great, right? <laughs> the heat still comes. The sin still comes. The circumstances still come. But our response to that is different. Our response to that, so actually we see those things not as, oh, the Lord is is doing these things because he doesn't love me or he's opposing me or he's against me or he's trying to... No, he's, he's actually doing these things because he loves us. And he can use the heat of this fallen world and the heat of our sin or the sin of others. Just like we see in the story of Joseph, he can use what they, what Satan, what this world intends for evil, God can actually bring about for good. And so he can, he can do that and he can bring about that in our life. And so when we become Christians, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are made new creations. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. If, any, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And so there's this idea that we who were once dead, Ephesians 2, right? We were once dead in our sin, have been made alive. So now we're living in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, Science says there's seven characteristics to anything that's living. Consumption, reproduction, movement, sensitivity, response to outside stimuli. But among these, there's this one, growth. Living things grow. So I think it's a good idea. As Christians, what are we called to do? We are called to grow. There is actually a growth that happens. So, so God doesn't just come into our lives and just says, okay, I'm going to save you, set you free from sin, but you just kind of hang out, be who you are. No, he comes and says, I have something more for you, and I'm going to change you, and you are going to grow. And this idea is, well, what are we growing into? What, what are we headed? Well, where we're headed is we are growing more and more into Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 talks about this. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So there's this idea that he grew and matured from being a child to a man. So there is growth and maturity that happens in us as Christians. So the Apostle Paul sees that. He said that I, when I was a child, I spoke like one. I thought like one. I reasoned like one. But I'm not a child anymore. <laughs> Things have changed. And so this is true for us. Now, everybody has a different pace at which we grow, but growth, if we are living and abiding in Christ, then there should be a change taking place. There should be something happening to where we look back at our lives and say, I am new. I am different. My desires are different. The, the, my decisions that I make are different. The way that I relate to other people is different. And so there's this idea that this is how God is at work. Hebrews 5 talks about this similarly, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so this is a warning of like, hey, you should be mature and you should not just need milk, but you have not grown. You have not changed. This is actually a warning. You're dull of hearing. So actually you have not listened. You have not actually taken to heart what you have heard in Christ, but you are turning to other things and you should be worried about that. That should worry you. So it's this idea of you should be growing. You should not just need milk anymore. You should have solid food. You should be able to distinguish between good and evil. So it's this idea with fruit, with the gospel, with God's grace. It's meant to work in our lives. It's meant to change us. It's meant to bring about things that weren't there before. And it's a gradual work. And all this is about the goal in all this is that we would be mature in Christ. Colossians 1 says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's this idea that there is fruit in every good work we're doing and we're increasing in the knowledge of God. There is growth happening. There is fruit coming. There is good works being done. And so all this is happening in our lives as we are changed by the gospel. And so before, and so, you know, I think a helpful way to think about this, because there's dangers when we talk about this. There's dangers. There's, there's ditches we can fall into. And I have found that Jerry Bridges has a very helpful way to think about this. And he calls them, and this is our first point, the bookends of the Christian life. So, so the bookends of the Christian life. You ever, so if you think about it, you ever tried to put books on a shelf and they won't stand up? You know what happens when you try putting them on a shelf without anything as bookends in place? The books end up tipping over. Um, so one tips over, the next tumbles, and then they're just, they've fallen. They're on the ground. At this point, what do you do? What should we have done in the first place? Well, you put, a, you put sturdy bookends on each end that provides st- support, stability. If something's moved out, it's okay. The books will stay. They're not going to fall apart. So we can think about our life as a long bookshelf. The books on it represent all the things we do, spiritual and temporal. There's a spiritual book for each activity of our Christian growth, service. So, these, so Bridges says some of these titles might be church attendance, Bible study, daily quiet time, sharing the gospel, serving others. The temporal books, the daily living, the, the things that we do is job performance, educational pursuits, recreation, leisure, grocery, shopping, driving the car, doing the laundry, mowing the grass, paying the bills. These are all the books that are intermingled with the spiritual books. And we're supposed to do all these things to the glory of God. And Bridget says, this is a very active place. In the course of each day, you pull one book off the shelf. Life can get complicated. The more committed and conscientious you are, the more frustration you feel trying to manage all the different books. And without adequate bookends, your books are falling and they're everywhere. And we need stability. 
We need something to hold the line for us, to keep us in between these two paths, these two ditches that we can fall in. And so Bridges goes on to say that when we become united to Christ by faith, God places a set of bookends on the shelf of our lives. One bookend is the righteousness of Christ. The other is the power of the Holy Spirit. Though they're provided by God, it's our responsibility to lean our books on them, relying on them to support, stabilize, and secure all our books in everything that we do. So it's just this idea that in this conversation, when we talk about growth, maturing, fruit, it, there, there's this sense to where we can just, there's this danger where we can begin to think about, am I doing enough? And then there's shame and there's condemnation. Am I serving the Lord enough? Are these things happening in my life because I haven't been a good enough Christian? So I just need to try harder. Well, you've just taken off the righteousness of Christ bookend of your life because now what you're saying is that God relates to me. God is treating me according to my performance. Life, the heat, the circumstance, whatever it might be, we've taken out the righteousness of Christ and now we're trying to move books in our lives and things are happening and it's just fallen. And can't you feel that at times in your own life? When you think that way, when we're tempted to take that stabilizing bookend off the shelf, life becomes harder. Our relationship with God is hindered. We begin to ask questions of God that we probably normally wouldn't if that bookend was there. When we are secure in the righteousness of Christ and we, are, and we know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves me even through all this because what I can look to is his son. He's committed. This is how much he loves me. He's given me his son. And so we have to talk. It's this idea that we have to make sure, and this is where you have to go through, before we talk about fruit, you have to make sure that you go through the cross, that you go through what God has done. So you have, we have to make sure that our roots are deeply planted in the soil of the gospel before we go, before we talk about the fruit it's easy to want to talk about the fruit. Easy to want to talk about what do we see? What is the change? Is there enough change? Well, this person has a little more change than I do. So are these the super Christians over here? But I'm over here by myself because I know our identity. We, we put our roots, our identity in the soil of the gospel. And actually, that is what is going to bring about the most fruit in our lives. It's actually what's going to bring about the most changes as we plan ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. It's the only way we'll experience lasting change. Because if we don't, and then this is where, you know, Paul Tripp, he's talked about this a lot, about, you know, we can just be tempted to want to staple fruit on our lives, right? Have an apple tree, and instead of waiting and seeing true apples to come, we can just want to staple fake apples and just kind of have this appearance of, oh yeah, there's fruit in my life. I'm a godly person. I, I, I do all these things. But, 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 our, but, our, but our roots are not planted in the soil of the gospel because everything is just fake. Everything, it's not genuine. We don't truly treasure Jesus Christ. What we're about is just making sure, do we have, like, we're just looking around. It's this idea of like, okay, I just need to conform to the people around me. What's, what's everyone else doing? What are the decisions they're making? Okay, so yeah, they, okay, so 
Oh, so I need to read my Bible. All right, so I'm going to read my Bible every morning. All right, oh, you better pray. Okay, better, got to do this. Got, okay, I got to, oh, better fellowship. I better go to church every day. Got to do, and you're just stapling. And, and there's no genuine heart change. And it's just fake. And, and I think at, you can maybe fool people for a time, but God will find you out. You are not fooling him. And so we don't want that. So here are the two enemies that I think can come. We must continually battle two gospel enemies. This is Jerry Bridges. Self-righteousness and persistent guilt. Man, don't want to be self-righteous. And we don't want to deal with this persistent guilt. This just this uh, low-level guilt. Robs us of so much joy. They represent a form, and this is so important. This is, this is where you want to take... Okay, here's the enemies, but here is what is underneath it. So if you're a counselor, this is where you want to lead your counselee to see this is why you're thinking this way. This is why you're having self-righteousness. This is what is behind this persistent guilt is unbelief. It's unbelief. This, they represent a form of unbelief that may not send us to hell, but will rob us. This is so important. It may not send us to hell, but it will rob us of fruitfulness, joy, and the assurance that God is for us and not against us, both now and forevermore. So that's what we're after. I mean, it's just this self-righteousness and persistent guilt. So I'm either overestimating, man, look at me. I got life put together. It's all about me. Life is good. I'm good. I'm amazing. Come on. Or I'm just a utter and complete loser. How could God love me? How, it's almost like just you carry guilt. Instead of you carry it, instead of seeing that that guilt has been carried to the cross for you. And it's been dealt with. And actually, life is not about you anymore. It's about him. It's about what God has done, not what you're doing or not what you haven't done. It's about him. And so what this robs us of, if you're here and you're experiencing this, I think the Lord, what he would say to you is, I have I have a life of fruitfulness. I have a life of joy. I have a life of assurance. But it begins with, you've got to have these bookends. You've got to have your roots planted deeply in the soil of the gospel. You need your life not to be about you, but about me. So fruit comes, number two, from a renewed mind and a changed heart. So Romans 12, we've, we've talked about this passage, but... It, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brother, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so as we, as we think about heat will still come, circumstances will still happen, sin will still be in our hearts, though its power is broken. So how are we going to deal with these things in a biblical way? Well, our minds have to be renewed. We have to be able to transform so that we, so that we can discern, so we can think about, so we can choose. And, 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 and as, we, as we interact with these hard circumstances, we're like, okay, what is spiritually, what is pleasing to the Lord? Well, I go to his word. And then in Titus 2, for the grace of God, secondly, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. So the grace of God, it not only brings, this is so important, the grace of God not only comes to bring salvation, but it trains us. 
teaches, training us to renounce godliness and worldly passions, helping us, think about this, helping us grow up, helping us learn how to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So it's just so important. Those categories are there. It's, it's, we are saved. Yes, he's brought salvation, but it's that same grace. So don't miss this. The same grace that has appeared to save us is the same grace that has come to train us, to teach us, to help us, to bring fruit, to change our hearts, to renew our mind. All this God is doing through his grace. So the grace that saves is also the grace that transforms. It's still the grace that sanctifies. It's the grace that builds us and grows us more and more into Jesus Christ. It's the same grace that has appeared saying, I am not gonna, I am going to come to rescue you and I am not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to bring you more to myself. And I'm going to show you by my grace how to do this. So the question is, is, is how is this training going? I love that it's this idea of the discipline of grace. Spiritual disciplines. Habits of grace. There is this sense to where we are living, yes, by the grace of God, but it is training us. It is an active pursuit. It is where we are. We're planted in the soil of the gospel, but we're being watered. We're, being, we're like that Psalm 1 man who is planted by the, the streams of living water, who bears fruit in season. He, and we're just we're there being fed and nourished. This is what... Um, The authors write in Real Change on page 38. As we freshly experience God's love and grace for our sin, our desires for ourselves pale beside a growing desire to be like Christ. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God as it proclaims the Son of God crucified and raised and presses it into our hearts as the growing object of our supreme desire. Increasingly, we will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already, already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's a great, Philippians 3, 10 through 12, it's a great passage. It's this idea that, yeah, we're not going to look behind. We're straining toward the goal. Where are we straining? What are we after? I, I want, and this is it, I want to know Christ. Man, do you want to know Christ? Or do you just want to change? Real change means I want to know Christ more. That if, if you want to know, if you really want to change, Paul doesn't begin with, you know, I, I really want to grow. I really want to mature. I, no, he's like, he begins with, this is where real change begins. I want to know Christ. That's where it begins. 
you want to know Christ and, you, and you're committed to knowing him, then what you're saying is, is, okay, what does it look like for me to know him more? What does that look like? What does that look like? John Newton, he was transformed from a slave ship captain to a child of God. He eventually wrote this treasured, uh, the treasured him amazing grace. But then he also wrote this. Thought we could look at it. It, it really captures this, this transformation that takes place in our lives. In evil long I took delight. So in evil long I took delight and awed by shame or fear. Till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid, for I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mightst live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. And so it's just this idea, I mean, it's just such a powerful picture of what Christ does on the cross, is that, yes, you see, my sin did that, but my sin has been forgiven. And now, this mystery of grace seals my parting, pardon with pleasing grief and mournful joy. My spirit now is filled that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. And so he's given us life. And I love this quote. I'm, I always, my mind always comes to this. Newton would, all, would say, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. That, that's, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so he is fighting. He is fighting to think, Lord, you've changed me. Yes, there's still room to grow. There's still things for me, but I'm not the same. And by your grace, I'm different. I'm yours. Galatians 3 says this about this tendency to, towards self-righteousness, almost to this idea of like, okay, we want... We want to perfect. It's like, okay, problem in Galatians was they, they were putting confidence and adding to the gospel. P Paul begins by saying, are you, he, he tells them that anyone who changes the gospel, not that there is, is, a, is an anathema. Basically, like the wrath of God is going to remain upon you. Um, and so he asked this question, which I think is really helpful. Galatians 3.3, 3, he writes, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Such a good question for us of like, okay, the Spirit is what began this work. There's no way that I could be where I am. Yet now we think, okay, well now I can, God started it, but I'll finish it. I'll, I'll perfect this. I'll, 
whatever, whether it's circumcision back then, whether it's these physical things that I need to do, adding some, some of the Judaism of the day. No, well, what is that for us today? What is that for you today? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but my confidence, my identity are in these things. These things is what perfects my faith. These things is what makes me a real, no. You've begun by the Spirit, and now you are being perfected by that same Spirit. So point three, by grace, by the Spirit, I can bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. So in Galatians 5, 16 through 6 through 10, we see a vivid display of thorns. So you see the flesh and fruit. You see the fruit, the sanctified heart and mind. So because of the gospel, you can have new beliefs. You can have new thoughts, desires. You can have new affections. You can have new priorities. So let's just briefly, let's just go through each of these fruits real quick. So you can have the fruit of love. The fruit of love. So to, to bear this fruit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So where, I mean, this is helpful. The Lord's given us not a complete list, but here's some fruits of the Spirit. So love, the glory of, so here's what it means to have the fruit of love. You love the glory of God and you love the good of others. It's your heart's greatest desire is to love God and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. If he could capture a summary of the whole commandments. You love the glory of God and you love the good of others. And those are your greatest desires is to bring glory to God and to serve and love your neighbor. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And then you have joy. So you can have joy. It doesn't deny the reality of the heat. doesn't deny the reality of this trial, this tribulation, the suffering, the grief, whatever it might be. But here's what joy is. It's an unshakable confidence and assurance that God is love. And therefore, it's always about our good. So it's just standing confidently, trusting in that, yes, I have a confidence that God is good and I can have joy no matter what my life has. There is this confidence that God is good, that he loves me, that he's for me, and I can have joy in that. In your presence is what? There is fullness of joy. That's exactly right. Fullness of joy is in the presence of God. So when we live in the confidence of who God is for us, there is joy. There's also peace, a peace, a deep confidence that even when it seems otherwise and even in great pain, nothing is out of control and you are safe in God's hands. That, that's the peace that surpasses understanding. It's the peace where he says, I can have peace despite my understanding because I have confidence that God is in control and I am safe in his hands. Patience, waiting, and faith in every situation and relationship, trusting God to glorify Christ and fulfill His perf purpose in His perfect timing. The Lord loves to make His people wait. He has no problem doing that. You read through Scripture and you're like, man, He has no issue with making His people wait. He loves to help us grow with patience, but it's this waiting in faith. I love that, that, that idea. This isn't a waiting with suspicion. This isn't waiting with being skeptical. This isn't waiting with bitterness. It's waiting with faith. It's waiting with a confidence, a deep confidence. It's waiting, saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you will glorify Christ and fulfill your purpose in your timing. That will help bring patience. Kindness acting toward others in such a way that they may enjoy what is truly good. 
doing as you would have them do to you. So it's basically, I want to act towards you in such a way that your life would be better and improve, that you would enjoy what is truly good. I want to, that is what true kindness is, is I want to, I want to make that possible in your life. So I want to do whatever's necessary to make that happen. We who were once enemies and hating one another through the Spirit are now able to be kind to one another, to love one another, to, to do what Jesus did, right? He came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life. He, how was Jesus kind to us? Well, he loved us in such a way that we are now able to enjoy that which is truly good, fellowship with God, fellowship with God through Christ, goodness, doing what is right, appropriate, and beautiful before God. We need courage for that today, don't we? Because that takes courage, it takes conviction. Doing what is right, appropriate, and beautiful. So doing what is right means that we, we're going to live according to God's word and his standard. We're going to do what's appropriate for the situation. So we're going to need wisdom on how to, how to live before that. And then we want to live before the face of God. So this is all about making things glorious to the Lord. We don't care what the world thinks. We don't care what our family thinks in the, in, to a degree in the sense of we are living before the Lord. And so as we fear God, as we live for Him, as we think about the scenario, as we think about what this means, then we're going to think about what does it mean to do right, how to show God's goodness. Faithfulness. Living each moment in a responsive, trusting, and obedient relationship with God. Living each moment in a responsive, trusting, and obedient relationship with God. Proverbs 20 talks about how many a man can commit, can say like, oh yes, here's my steadfast love. I'm steadfast, I'm here. But a faithful man, who can find? Where is he? It's hard to find faithful men. It's hard to find faithful people. But as Christians... We sh- our lives should be marked by faithfulness. Living each moment in a responsive, trusting, and obedient relationship with God. We want to be faithful. Gentleness. Responding with grace and tenderness. Even in, even, even in correcting, even in addressing, whether it's one another as Christians, family members, children. Responding with grace and tenderness. Mindful that the other is frail and weak like you. I love Psalm 103. As a father shows compassion to his children, so you show compassion to one another. For the Lord remembers their frame, that they are weak. So the Lord knows our frame. I love that. You ever thought about that? The Lord knows your frame. He knows you're weak. He knows, you're, he knows, how, he knows how we're made up. That we're, I think it goes on to say that we are just dust. Like we're just very weak. So gentleness is responding with grace and tenderness. Mindful. Mindful. Right? Are you mindful <laughs> of others? <laughs> or are you just wanting to get your point across? You understand what I'm saying? Did I say it harsh enough? <laughs> Do you hear the tone of my voice? Do you see and understand how bad? Or is it more gentle? At times you do need to be firm, but we're also called to be gentle. Self-control, a determined resistance and refusal to do anything other than all of the above. 
So I think it is the sense to where you are wanting to, as Ed Welch even says, it's a battle, battle against one more, right? <laughs> one more, one more, whatever that one more might be. And we live in a world that self-control is really off the table. doesn't really matter. But it is. It's a determined resistance and refusal to do anything other than all of the above. So it's just this sense where I'm going to live a self-controlled life and I want to show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. I want to be self-controlled. Fruit of the Spirit, on display. These things are all available to us. These things is that, that God produces through His Spirit, through our lives. And, and, and I wanted to, to end with this, that, you know, Paul, after this, at the end of this section, he writes in Galatians 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that also he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And, and I just love this idea, this agricultural image of just sowing and reaping. I think you have to think about that. Fruit, growing, it takes time. It takes time. We wish we could just snap of the fingers and it just happens. But there is a sowing. And there is a do not grow weary. Do not grow discouraged. Do not grow despondent. Do not, do not sow to your flesh because you will reap corruption. But sow to the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit's presence so that you could reap eternal life. And I think that's where if you just think about this track, this three trees track of looking at the heat, thinking about the thorns, where is sin, taking it to the cross, and then through the Spirit being able to produce this type of life, it makes you want to continue to grow. And then you will see fruit because the promise is you will reap. And I love how he ends that. I love that he's, he's thinking like, hey, so to the Spirit, your growth, don't grow weary. But then he ends with, do good to everyone. I love that. Use your life to serve others. Do good to everyone. This fruit in your life, this sowing, this growing, it's not just meant for you. It's meant for others. It's meant to serve others. It's meant to do good. It's meant to do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so this idea of growing, this idea of fruit, this idea of, of maturing in Christ, I just I love this picture Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, that as we speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him. We're all as the church growing in, up into Christ. And so just with this class, and as you guys are thinking about it, just your own life being able to change, but also as you think about just how, can, how, how to serve others in your family, your community groups, people who don't know the Lord. I just hope this is created. This class has created some, some structures, some biblical ways to think about, okay, who am I? What is God doing? How am I supposed to think about this thing called life and, and the world that I'm living in? And you're able to transfer that to other people because this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. And, and so what we want is to provide just a biblical framework and being able to actually live for him and have joy. So, amen. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. 
And uh, let me pray for us. So Lord, thanks for this morning. I do pray for everyone here. I pray that you would, through the power of your Spirit, bring about true joy, true fruit. I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be on display, that, that our identities and our, would be in Christ, that we would love nothing more than to bring you glory, that we would resist the enemies of the gospel, that it would self-righteousness, persistent guilt, Lord, legalism, the cheap grace, thinking that, oh, we can sin so grace may abound. These lies, Lord, I pray more than anything we would treasure Christ, that we would remember that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Lord, that's, that's our desire because in your presence is fullness of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of his word and gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone dash U.